Hello travellers and welcome to You Should Have Been There, episode 24, with me, Simon Calder. And me, Mick Webb. And once again, uh, you and I are separated by some miles as we contemplate the dangers awaiting us in the wider world when finally lockdown ends. Yes, we're going to be talking about travel risks. After the first couple of days, you, the snakes are the least of your concerns, uh, the jaguars, uh, because the animals are more afraid of you than, than you are of them. The wildlife, I think, of the Dadian is in the people that you meet in the rainforest. And more on our risky adventures in the Darien Gap between Panama and Colombia a little bit later. But one of the recurring themes of lockdown has been the way we've been bombarded with figures showing most notably, of course, the shocking death toll from coronavirus, especially in the UK, the US and Brazil, and also told time and again that maintaining two metres of separation will keep us safe. Even if, Mick, as I saw just yesterday, it means a pedestrian uh, walking beside a busy road suddenly lurching into the path of an oncoming bus to maintain that precious distance from another passerby. Um, and of course, we know that risk in England constitutes a gathering of more than six people, whereas in Scotland, it's more than eight. And face masks are suddenly going to save lives when a few weeks ago um, they wouldn't. Well, although I'm not necessarily going to follow your science, I do know that you do know quite a lot about uh, travel risk. Um, well, I have um, been following this, uh, partly because I'm a one-person job creation scheme with um, A&E departments, the length and breadth of London, after a lifetime of bicycle and other prangs. Um, and moving around is top of my list of worries simply because that is when statistically the most travelers are are harmed um and of, at the absolute top of the risk register motorbikes and mopeds um the, uh, can i introduce you to a concept of the micro mort this represents a one in a million chance of dying and you can only go six miles on a motorbike for that to eventuate you've you've already tolerated one one in a million risk of an accident now when you're walking or cycling that increases to about 17 miles but of course it's less potentially risky than motorbikes because there's a limit to on how far any of us can walk or indeed cycle uh rail and air are just so safe that it's actually very difficult to find any risk at all um so no fatalities among train passengers in the UK since 2007. Um, and in the air, well, you know the concept they use on building sites, number of days since an accident. Well, there have been uh, 11,473 accident-free days among UK airlines since the last fatal crash involving a jet aircraft. That was the Kegworth disaster in 1989. So you can travel for millions of miles by air or train before you ever reach that one in a million chance of, of uh, dying. Now, one risk that is statistically vanishingly low, um, of course, in almost all of the parts of the world that you and I would go to, is terrorism. But it hits the headlines um, and many, many people have been deterred from travel because of it. Um, I would really put it in the same category as plane crashes. Terrible things very, very occasionally happen and they are desperately tragic when they do. But the risks to the individual are 
tiny. Well, you see, I think this is where using top-level global statistics, um, micromorts and millions and things, can actually be quite misleading. I mean, it's quite clear to me, although I haven't actually researched this properly, that going to, um, well, let's say Kabul in Afghanistan is going to... Um, expose you to a much higher risk of um, death through some terrorist incident um, than going to, I don't know, let's say for the sake of argument, uh, Luxembourg. And a similar thing really happens with, with, with traffic. I mean, a lot of people, obviously, when they go on holiday, don't drive, don't take local transport, but a lot of people do. And... I looked at the, uh, I think they were the WHO figures, the World Health Organization figures for traffic-related deaths last year. And only 28 countries in the world actually have adequate laws uh, which address all five risk factors, which is speeding, drunk driving, wearing helmets, seatbelts and child restraints. If you drive in, well, I'm going to take Zimbabwe as a case in point here, you are about nine times more likely to have a fatal traffic incident than you are in the UK. And actually in the US, it's four times as high as the UK. Road accidents are the most avoidable form of death on earth, uh, I believe. Um, You've got an average of 154 deaths per hour. That's a medium-sized plane crashing with everybody dying on board every single hour. And if you really want to address public health, that's where an awful lot of attention should be going. But of course, it needs money, it needs enforcement. And uh, sadly, after the coronavirus crisis, I fear things possibly could get even worse because there'll be less money available for things like that. I suppose one of the interesting things about risk is what we can find out about and what is just entirely unexpected or that you actually have to be prepared to assess and react to as you go along. And I I must say that uh, possibly the riskiest undertaking that that I have made in my life was uh, a journey that you and I made to try and cross the Darien Gap, which you referred to at the beginning of the podcast between Colombia and Panama, through 50, 60 miles of dense jungle, which was infested with dangers and risks of all kinds and we did uh, actually try to uh, prepare for it but but all kinds of things just changed from day to day including having to um, get a ride on a very very small plane which flew from Medellin to a tiny airport called uh, Capurgana on the Caribbean coast of Colombia. The pilots just warned us it's not going to be gentle, but that's normal. A fellow passenger has added the helpful amplification that Capurgana is one of the three most dangerous airports in Colombia, which makes it very risky indeed. The approach involves diving down a steep valley straight towards the mountainside, making the aviation the equivalent of a three-point turn, with the wheels almost scraping the treetops, then tumbling onto a bumpy airstrip and trying to stop before the runway ends and the Atlantic begins. And that's where the excitement really began. Um, We weren't entirely irresponsible and we were 
actually working for the BBC and had even tried to sign up for um, something called a hostile environments course where you did not only a lot of first aid training, which I think is a very good idea, by the way, but would have found out how to get out of a minefield if we'd been in one, which was very unlikely, and what to do if kidnapped, which actually was quite likely. Unfortunately, the courses were all booked up, so we weren't able to go on one. But we did um, speak to a photojournalist who had actually done the journey and also an expert in jungle survival for the British Army who was called Corporal Ray Wright. Third lance, like, to actually look at is a striped snake, um, very brightly coloured, red, black and yellow. It's one of the only snakes that um, has a partner for its whole life. If you kill one, you've got to kill the other because the other one will actually come looking for you. When it's striking, it'll uh, coil up and then rise up and come flying at you. It's able to actually jump 10 to 15 feet. After the first couple of days, you, the snakes are the least of your concerns, uh, the jaguars, and because the animals are more afraid of you than, than you are of them. The wildlife, I think, of the Dadian is in the people that you meet in the rainforest. It's, it's a buffer zone. There's no such thing as a border. There's kind of a network of, of uh, smuggling, uh, everything from refrigerators to microwave ovens to uh, fine scotch, whiskey, uh, cigarettes. There's a big network of guerrillas fighting the contrabandists, of the contrabandists fighting the army, of the army fighting the paramilitaries. So the wildlife in the Darien has got nothing really to do with the animals or the trees. It's got to do with the people in the area. Well, I think that was wise advice from uh, Richard Emblin. But actually, when it really came down to it, the real dangers that we faced were not even mentioned by uh, some of the experts and certainly not in the uh, any of the travel literature. Because, for example, in a rainforest, the most dangerous thing is falling branches. So you're much more likely to be killed by a branch falling off a rotten tree onto your camp than you are by a snake bite, for example. And indeed, you're much more likely to be bitten by a centipede than by a snake in the Darien Gap. And the centipedes can actually paralyse you for 48 hours, which doesn't sound too much fun. And um, I suppose um, what it made me think, really, was that although... We read all about risks and people tell us about risks. There are actually always local risks, which you can really only find out um, about by uh, talking to local people or um, reading local press. Uh, yes, there are. I mean, the number of risks which are, 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 are they're simply uncalculable. And that's perhaps why we focus as as humans, as travellers, on very specific, easy to identify risks. I'm going to take you back a few years to um, the Ebola crisis, if you remember that. Um, we were all really worried, or an awful lot of people heading for Africa were, that um, this, this very, very nasty disease was, was going to um, threaten us all. But in fact, the more research I did, the more it turned out that this was an awful thing for the people of um, Sierra Leone, of, of, of Guinea. Um, but actually, for the vast majority of people, um, since you were not going to be exchanging bodily fluids with um, uh, people with Ebola, it was um, you know, a very unfortunate thing, but no, nothing actually threatening. However, it devastated travel to all parts of Africa for getting on for a year just because people fixated on this one threat. 
No, I see what you mean. And, and, and maybe that takes our eye off the, uh, the real ball, which is the sorts of everyday dangers which you can find pretty well anywhere, wherever you go on holiday, and which you should really be keeping an eye out for. Things like hotel fires, obviously um, robbery and, and violence, traffic we've talked about and and i gather now instagrams and selfies are actually coming up the hit parade of causes of serious accidents for for travelers uh, that they of course they are and it just shows how um, uh, humanity is capable of 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 creating new risks and i was um uh, couple of years ago on the um, beautiful Indian Ocean island of Mahe and I was actually filming my family on a zip wire and of course... um, Sorry, so they were on the zip wire and you were down below filming? Yes, and you might think that they were taking more of a risk but of course I uh, decided to move um, to get a better shot rather than actually watching my my step. I went tumbling, the whole thing was caught on camera quite... uh, entertainingly and that that uh, managed to break my wrist and of course um, took took the edge off the rest of that trip it's so easy to do and there's just countless stories of of people taking selfies on the edge of the grand canyon and other great ravines and plummeting very sadly to their death it's so sad and indeed shortly after that i was asked by a school in Wokingham in Berkshire, not a dangerous place in its own right. Um, they said, uh, tell us, tell, tell our students um, what uh, they need to do when they go abroad. So I had to think about it. Now, I, as always, of course, there's five, five tests. Um, uh, don't text when you're crossing the road, um, when you're out and about. And I th- bear in mind, this aimed at, at, at teenagers, don't wear headphones. Not only will you miss out on the amazing sounds of life in the world beyond Berkshire, um, you'll also be far less tuned in to possible dangers, either a truck coming straight towards you or maybe somebody um, intent on, uh, on robbing you. Um, you should always wear a bike helmet. Well, not always, just when you're cycling. Um, and... Uh, we, we, we heard about zip wires, but I think even more dangerous are riptides. Um, understand how to deal with them uh, because so many people very sadly lose their lives swimming out in the sea. It looks absolutely lovely. They don't know how to respond when they find themselves being dragged out um, and they sadly lose their lives. And of course, for older people, never, ever rent a scooter when abroad, whether you're on an island in Thailand or in Greece um, very sadly, you're going to be heading off uh, uh, on all these mountain roads. You're possibly having a few beers at lunchtime. You are putting yourself at extreme risk. And, and, any you'd like to add to my five? I'd like to add a little bit on um, on riptides because um, one of my uh, sons on his gap year abroad reported only, of course, when he'd got back safely, um, that uh, he had had a most... Um, an incredibly dangerous brush with um, with death on the on the Pacific shore of Costa Rica uh, when he and a friend, without any um, local guides or companions, had gone surfing uh, and they got caught in a riptide. He said it was absolutely horrific, and I did look it up uh, afterwards and realised that I I had 
had an occasional encounter with a riptide without realising it, and that actually they really are significant dangers. And um, we will put uh, on our uh, website at anchor.fm uh, slash you should have been there uh, a link to a very good site which actually explains how to spot riptides and um, what to do about them. Well, thank goodness that uh, your son escaped uh, alive, but so many of these things involve young men and they should be far more risk averse than pretty much anybody else except for young women of course because they've got so many years of life that they should be looking forward to um i mean the fact that you and i are still here after many collective decades of traveling shows either we've been very good at risk management or we've been very lucky um but it might also help that we're male um so i asked my wife charlotte to prescribe her tips for our teenage daughters daisy and poppy who um as soon as this is all over are impatient to start traveling alone the most important thing i think is um always to pack your common sense I think if you are abroad, there's no reason why you wouldn't still be careful about what you do, where you go, what you say, in the same way that you would be if you were staying at home. It's really important when you're going to a new place to to have the information that you need to know a little bit about where you are going. Um, so do your research properly. So that could be reading a guidebook book or it could be looking at maps. Although... I would caution there in terms of doing all of that in public uh, because it's not a really it's not a good idea to show when you're in the middle of a new place that you are a newcomer. Obviously there's many reasons why you might be a target you might be travelling with expensive possessions um, including I've got to say your phone um, so do think really carefully about what it is that you take with you and be prepared to lose everything that you take. Be very careful, I would say, when you are out enjoying yourself and drinking in a new town, in a, in, in a new country. You don't want to be in a state where... Uh, you know, you're not quite sure what's going on and you're, um, you know, mentally you're slightly impaired. So if you do want to have a good time and, and, and have a little bit of a drink, maybe best to do it at the hostel or the hotel, somewhere where you know that you might be a little bit safer. If you're travelling on your own, make sure that people know where, where you're going um, and, and what time you might be back. I would say... Try and stay in sort of smaller um, um, hotels or hostels, places where there are a lot of people around. I get very worried about these great big hotels, um, uh, which are faceless and um, you know, more expensive. You can be on a corridor and, you know, nobody can hear you scream. I would say the same in terms of sort of public transport or indeed just transport. Stay with other people, stay close to the, the driver and um, make sure that you're not sort of separated in any way. I would be very aware and alert at all times just to anything that could happen. 
And that's Charlotte, who worked for many years for Lonely Planet and does know a thing or two about travel. Um, but Mick, you've got your own views on safety for everyone, uh, formulated after many, many years. So, so what are your pillars of probability to stay safe? Um, I don't know how many there are, but first of all, uh, do your homework. We've mentioned that before, and indeed Charlotte mentioned that too. One thing you can do, actually, is make your own hazard form. Uh, it might sound a bit over the top, but, um, you know, if you're going on a on a trip, it is maybe worth just making a list of um, the sorts of things that might be hazardous. And then in a second column, you write down what you will do to mitigate this risk and then in the third column you write down how the risk has been mitigated and have you managed to uh, improve it so that's make your own hazard form number one um, and then when you get to the place be aware as as the phrase has it I mean be very careful and and that means checking local rules animals are sometimes worth finding out about hippos for example in Africa uh, are incredibly dangerous at certain times of year you do not want to go swimming as I did off a beautiful beach in um, Lake Malawi uh, at a time when uh, when the females have their young because if you get between the female uh, and the young which you might not see in the uh, undergrowth then uh, uh, you are in serious trouble. I would also say uh, Beware the local police. I mean, in in many countries, they are incredibly badly paid and really depend on fleecing the unwary uh, in order to make up their um, their stipend. And uh, I remember being stopped once in Honduras in a hire car which didn't have a hazard triangle in the boot. Now, this was a bit of a joke, uh, (laughs) given the state of uh, most of the uh, traffic on the road in Honduras, but it was not a good idea to argue uh, with this guy. So uh, myself and my colleague uh, tried to chat amiably to him um, and uh, asked how we might resolve this little problem. And um, funnily enough, he actually got out of his wallet a (laughs) book of tickets to the policeman's ball. And we bought two of those for $10 a piece and then were waved on our way. Um, But I mean, you do have to be careful. And clearly it's not a good idea to actually offer a bribe up front until you've assessed the conditions. Um, Now, my last bit of advice is don't eat anything green. Um, This this I got from a um, a splendid uh, veteran journalist called Hugh O'Shaughnessy, who I travelled with quite a lot in uh, South America and um, uh, he steadfastly refused to touch anything that had any connection with salad at all and uh, I once stupidly disregarded his advice and ate a lettuce leaf uh, I think it was at Belize airport at the cafe at Belize airport because the salad looked so nice and I hadn't had one for ages and I was so ill uh, and also um, remained uh, ill for some time with um, a particularly nasty um, (laughs) bacterial bug called Jardia so don't eat anything green unless it's been cooked I think that's quite good advice Well, thank you for those, Mick. Absolutely fascinating. And the lesson I took from it is, of course, you need to balance um, potential fun with fear. But more than anything else, you just need as much local knowledge as you can possibly procure. 
Yeah, and I suppose, um, Simon, we're going to need to add to those headings under which we search for um, local knowledge, local risks, etc., etc. COVID-19, I mean, do you think that's going to make a big difference to uh, travel risk? I think once we start travelling again this summer, uh, probably going into 2021, it most certainly will. It's going to be uncomfortable, both physically, in terms of you're going to have to wear a mask pretty much everywhere, and you're not going to be able to have the same uh, exciting um, collective experiences that you might have at your your favourite destination. Um, But then it will depend on how things turn out in terms of vaccines, in terms of second waves and so on. So it's too early to tell. um, But longer term, I just hope we can keep coronavirus in perspective. It's an awful, awful disease which has caused immense tragedy. Um, However, uh, compared with the other risks that are around, it would be unwise to focus entirely on COVID-19. Well, that's fair enough. I mean, I'm rather hoping that it will take its place alongside malaria, actually, which is something that I'm um, always worried about, particularly as I'm irritatingly attracted to places where it seems to be endemic uh, and where there are various strains of it and where it's sometimes difficult to get the proper local knowledge about what kind of drug prophylaxis you really need and that and I suppose you know even even um even the kind of uncomfortable change of habits I mean uh you know when you go to a malarial country you really do have to um smother yourself with the most unpleasant chemicals to keep the mosquitoes at bay and that's increasingly something you have to do during the day as well as at night because there are now um Uh, rather horrible diseases like dengue fever, uh, which are spread particularly in cities by daytime um, biting mosquitoes, whereas um, a few years ago it was just uh, make sure you don't get bitten at particularly at dusk and and at dawn. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's um, sadly going to be (laughs) part of the the new normality or the new normal, isn't it? Uh, it, it is. Um, but, well, goodness me, I think it would be tragic and also very, very economically damaging for um, tens of millions of people who depend on tourism worldwide. Were we all to decide, actually, let's go back to domestic basic basics and stay stay where we are i'm not sure that that is a good long-term solution although i completely sympathize with many travelers who are just thinking okay i'll give it a bit of a pause until i see what's going on and um, that certainly won't apply to me what about to you i am very keen to get back um, on the road but uh until i am convinced that it is reasonably safe to travel by air i'm certainly not going to be getting on a an airplane whatever michael o'leary would do to persuade me um to travel on ryanair uh and um i'm not sure that i much fancy going anywhere that doesn't involve um getting my car and um uh, going through the channel tunnel to europe but the problem is not really a problem because uh, I think by the time um, uh, we are as uh, UK citizens acceptable tourists again probably 
things will be a lot easier and I won't be so worried about them in the destinations. What you're describing, I think, is a slow return to slower travel. And would you believe it, our next podcast, episode 25 of You Should Have Been There, is going to be all about slow travel and the benefits that can bring us. Well, that's excellent. And um, there is a saying used in, in South America, which is, it's better to arrive a little late in this world than early in the next one. I think that very neatly sums up everything that we've been talking about today and we will be next time. Until then, from me, Simon Calder. And me, Mick Webb. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.